be honest about your strengths and the things you want to work on, and you'll you'll just learn so much more from that. When someone's doing something better than you are or or more sophisticated than what you're doing, learn from that person. You know, see see what they're doing that's different than what you're doing. Welcome back to the Medical Illustration Podcast. This is your host, Paul Kelly. In this episode, I'm going back to my ongoing series of interviews. I'm going to be touching base with an expert in medical animation, Nobles Green. When I graduated and started working in the field, Nobles had already been animating for several years and was someone I looked up to, so he's always been on my wish list for guests to bring on the podcast. Nobles is a graduate of the Georgia program, and he's an active member of the Association of Medical Illustrators. In this conversation, we talk about these experiences and go deep on GPU renderers and other software, preparing for the future and continuing self-education, and the importance of diversity in medical illustration. Please enjoy this conversation with Nobles Green. So yeah, how have you been? You moved out to, or sorry, you haven't moved. You've uh, started a new job. Tell us a bit about that. Uh, yeah, I'm working for Ilara. Uh, they're a creative agency that I believe been around for over 20 years. And uh, I'll be part of their 3D medical animation team. And also they do a lot of VR work uh, with virtual reality. So I'll be helping with creating assets for that. So I'm really excited about it. Oh, nice. I get to work remotely, so I'm still still in Atlanta. So, yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. What did you work on yesterday? Uh, yeah, so I'm getting a hang of different software. Cinema 4D has been something that uh, I've used almost exclusively in my career. But uh, with this company, we have people who use 3DS Max, and they use Maya. And uh, a lot of the previous projects they worked on is with 3DS Max, so I'm trying to... Uh, learn some of that software, you know, pardon my skills. So uh, I've been dabbling with 3DS Max uh, at the moment and uh, trying to give myself uh, a little project, you know, a little self-project or two to kind of establish a bit of a workflow and understand the tools and stuff. It feels like there's a drop-down menu for everything. That's uh, <laughs> different than Cinema 4D. Mm-hmm. I keep... Uh, haven't asked myself, well, where, well, where's this? Where's that? Right. But uh, luckily, it's a lot of tutorials that help. That's good. That's good. Have you noticed any advantages or significant things that 3ds Max does particularly well? No, no, just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> seems like the rendering is pretty cool. Like hard, t- like uh, the way that hard tissue is being rendered. That that seems pretty neat. Seems like there's a kind of a richer default render when it comes to the things mm. that's what i'm noticing immediately so so far okay before you started at alara you were at nucleus for what like 10, 15 years yes it was the first wow. the first the first job of my professional career <laughs> oh that's awesome man so when you were there what did you spend the most amount of your time there doing was it like animation or modeling uh, a little bit of all of the above. Uh, even though we were a team, we handled a lot of projects solo. Like whatever whatever projects come, they get delegated among us, and a lot, mo- most of the time we work on those individually. So I dabble with I dabble with a little bit of everything from you know all the way through storyboard, modeling, animating, post production, you name it. 
Okay. All right. And what, uh, like particular part of the 3d pipeline would you say you enjoy the most? Yeah, I would say, uh, I always like, you know, creating the, the nice looks of certain things, uh, with, you know, playing around with renderers and lighting and all that, but I'm enjoying more and more of the actual animating, like exploring dynamics and fluid simulation and stuff like that. So at first I was obsessed with uh, making things look good, but now I just want things to like act, mm. <laughs> uh, make it look like you, I mean, help you like appreciate the landscape more, appreciate the actions of what's happening. Mm. Do you remember what was the first thing you ever made when you started working at Nucleus? Oh, Lordy. Yeah, that's um, a few viruses I've made that were kind of flying together and then they inject themselves inside of a cell. It's it's a very underwhelming animation. <laughs> uh, just, just a couple of seconds long. Uh, it was content just for the sake of making content. Uh, that was something that Nucleus did on top of doing jobs for, for clients. We made content that was in stock for our library. So if a doctor or hospital, you know, or anyone else wanted to license stuff that we already made, we, we were able to offer that. Oh, nice. Okay. And apparently that little animation got licensed a few times. I have no idea why. <laughs> oh, hey, man, that's but awesome. Kinda, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah, it's kind of neat to uh, have someone actually be like, hey, yeah, we want to include this in our, maybe we're, maybe a TV show or, you know, a film or something like that. Nice. Nice. 15 years. That's an incredible career right there. I mean, that's, that's a dream for so many people to be able to have that much time under their belt, you know, like yeah. during that, during that span of time tell us what were some of the, like your favorite projects you worked on? Yeah, I would say the animations in which the whole team was able to work on them were some of my favorites. Uh, we did a series of animations based on pregnancy, like fertilization and ovulation. Those those were fun ones to work on because uh, they were delegated among everyone, and everyone did their best on on you know the shots they were doing, and and we all gave each other you know great feedback and kind of pushed each other to do cool stuff. So I really enjoyed that, and also we we've done some fun animations with nature publishing group uh one in particular was innate lymphoid cells mm. and that was also something the project was so big that all of us worked on it so i i really like that kind of collaboration nice and how many people were you kind of passing files back and forth with between uh, i'd say about uh, roughly about four or five of us okay okay yeah yeah give, give or give or take nice man yeah so much work that Nucleus has put out over the years. I often wonder, you know, when I'm looking at other people's work, like how they sort of, you know, stay focused or get in the zone. Like, I'm wondering if, can you describe like your headspace when you're working on animations? Like what's going on inside your head? I, I ask myself that all the time. <laughs> 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 but uh, yeah, you know, I try to imagine the scenes that I'm building based on research that I've done and some of my medical scientific knowledge and also just kind of clear my head. I approach a project with like a clear perspective of what needs to be accomplished and what the goal is, who the audience is, and not just jump to past solutions. Like, hey, you know, I did a T-cell, you know, on this previous animation that way, I'm just going to throw it onto this animation. 
but I should be more mindful of, okay, who's the main characters? Who's the secondary characters? You know, who's, who's the audience? Maybe a T-cell that's all big, uh, nice and fancy and, and detailed everything for a previous animation. I mean, if it's not a primary character of the animation I'm currently working on, maybe I should make that simpler so it doesn't draw away attention from what the, what the focus should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so I guess clear, you know, Clearing the clearing the memory cats of my head and uh, looking at something with like a fresh fresh perspective, you know, I get inspired by that, like motivated creatively by that. That's kind of the name of the game in our industry, right? Is those custom solutions, you know? And I think, uh, yeah, from what you're describing, it sounds like you know you can't take too much for granted when you're rebuilding a shot or, or making a shot that's similar to something you've done before. There might be some new considerations you have to take into account, yeah. right? Yep. Yeah. So like from your experience, what parts of the, the 3D pipeline have you noticed that there's a uh, room for improvement? Because I think there's a lot of students or maybe people who are interested in getting into the field who might be listening to this and they might be curious about, you know, what are some roles that they could fill? What are uh, some things that you noticed that they, you know, they could w- be working on now to, to be able to integrate into an animation pipeline? Uh, that's a very good question. Like, uh, here's the thing. Uh, and I'm sure you've noticed this of your education. We learn so much stuff, <laughs> uh, not mm. just traditional art, you know, as far as like pen and ink and carbon dust and all that. Uh, we're also taking med school level classes. We do all that. And then we're jumping into like the basics of animation. There's some things that I guess students who've gone through, I guess, traditional animation schools experience like cinematography you know mm-hmm. and like exploring like those 12 principles of animation which i i can't recite but things like that we don't have time to explore as well so i would just say you know anyone who's an aspiring medical animator if you can kind of take that extra time to understand when to do different shots like wide shots and medium shots and close-ups and then figuring out those principles of animation it's like making something squats and stretch and bounce and you know any any of those any of those actions that, that that'll be very helpful for you yeah oh man yeah i i totally know what you're talking about and i i could definitely not name, <laughs> name those either <laughs> but i think there is a disney book isn't there like a disney animation book that they, yeah. they get into depth on those so we'll put a link for that in the in the show notes yeah man i remember when I was starting up at TVA Surge uh, with Albert, uh, Albert Fong and myself, we hit you up a few times. I don't know if you remember, like back in the day, we were asking yeah. you about some you know, C4D tips and stuff. And man, you hit us back like right away. And you're like so helpful, man. That was, that was so nice of you. Uh, do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. Thank you for asking those questions because that kind of forces me to like, we explore and like refine my solutions and my approach to to what you're asking so i kind of mm-hmm. get to learn things again mm-hmm. and and when trying to uh play around with with certain shots then i come across solutions it's like oh yeah okay here's a better way to do this i'll i'll that. Right, on, right on i you know what i thought would be fun is if we could kind of like relive that moment for the audience like a little <laughs> bit <laughs> sort of like a role play kind of thing so like i was because i was thinking like let's take a simple shot in 3d medical animation that you see a lot uh like a blood flow animation you know so you've got your your cell wall your vessel and then there's some 
RBCs, red blood cells, and usually some neutrophils or something flying through there. Yeah. What tips do you, because I know you've, you've got to have worked on many of these shots. What tips do you have for making a good blood flow animation shot? You know, what are some things that people should pay attention to? What are some things that people get wrong? What are your thoughts there? Sure, sure. Yeah, there's a few things to consider. One thing that I, I noticed in a lot of blood flow animations, including my own at times, is that the uh, red blood cells fly through as if they're flying hard pebbles through open space, <laughs> like through a vessel. <laughs> And if you can uh, afford yourself the time to work on that, for instance, red blood cells, white blood cells, you know, all those elements, they're in fluid, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're in, they're in plasma, they're in water. So, you know, there's some opportunity to do a subtle turbulent motion. And also because of that, they rotate a lot. They bounce off of each other a lot. So uh, some opportunity is for dynamics, which I know that's not always the easiest thing. But uh, it's worthwhile. Mm-hmm. That makes things more interesting when you have those cells bouncing off of each other and bouncing off the vessel. And then I, I'd imagine there's a difference in mass between, you know, red blood cell versus, you know, a white blood cell, which seems to be like a more spherical shape. And then, you know, you have platelets that are a lot smaller. Platelets probably move through, you know, or bounce around a lot faster, a lot more turbulent than, you know, red blood cells and white blood cells probably don't move around as much. And then when you have like smaller particulate, then, you know, that stuff's just moving all over the place because they're just being moved around and displaced by everything else, like all the other cells. Right on, man. So, so all of that kind of helps. And then I guess for extra credit, depending on where, where this vessel is and how close to the heart it is, you kind of have that stop and move motion of the heart beating. Mm. Uh, that, that kind of controls the flow of the blood too. Mm-hmm. So, so you just do that pretty, you know, turbulent, you know, they get kind of shoved through and then they kind of stop a bit, but they're still kind of floating. And then you have that heart pumping through to, you know, pumping those cells again. That, that could be really cool. Oh, definitely. Yeah. That, that's a great point. You don't always see that, but it makes total sense. And that, that's really interesting too, that you mentioned, it depends on like where in the body that is. That it's gonna like change, you know, the yeah. motion. Man, that's yeah, that's that's awesome, dude. Yeah, like large large vessels, you know, it's probably more chaotic than, I guess, capillaries or nearby arterioles that are, you know, almost the size of capillaries. So that's something worth considering too. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. right on. So you know what? I want to I want to back up a little bit and ask you about kind of how you got into the field. So when did you get started in medical illustration? Yeah, you know, when I was younger. I always like to look through encyclopedias. Back in the day, um, <laughs> <laughs> that was all in print. You know, you get like this giant world book encyclopedia series. A lot of people my age are probably older. They probably still have that at their house or their parents' house. You spend a gazillion dollars on it and then you keep it like forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's probably all outdated, but you know, you that was your that was your frame of reference. Like one thing that I liked the most was looking at the human anatomy section where there would be these overlays where you know, you know, it'll be a picture of like a human like the silhouette of, you know, human body and then you overlay the bones and then you then there's other overlays, you know, plastic overlay of vessels and nerves and stuff like that. And that was something I always found really cool. And then the, during school I was you know, I was an artist first and foremost, but I just always enjoyed science class. And that's just something like in my education, I couldn't, I couldn't abandon. 
like I always wanted to take higher level science classes. But at the same time, there's like no way I want to become a doctor <laughs> or, <laughs> or no way to get, you know, involved in any kind of I guess, high stress healthcare career. Yeah, high stress and yeah, high demands on your time too, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, so yeah. It, it was kind of the weirdest thing during high school. I was kind of looking at my science book. It's all like this this illustration. I think it was like passive versus active transport. I was just looking at the drawing and then kind of thinking to myself, but then looking at the drawing and thinking to myself. And eventually I came to the conclusion, like, uh, wait, someone probably draws this stuff. <laughs> like, I wonder, you know, it's like, is this something someone who's hired by textbook company or this is someone who gets, you know, do they have their own company or do they work for a company that does these sort of things? So I just did Google search when Google is probably more of a thing. And yeah, I came across like the Association of Medical Illustrators. It was just one of those links that you saw in the Google search. What does a medical illustrator do or what does scientific illustrator do? I was just kind of clicking those links and boy, did that speak to me. I thought, mm -hmm. oh, yeah, yeah, I think this is something that, like, I want to pursue. Like, I'm going, I'm going to be a medical illustrator. All right, nice. How, how the heck, how the heck do I do it? I don't know, but, <laughs> 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 but it's a, you know, this is a start. This is my epiphany. <laughs> right on. So was that about the time when you were, like, an undergrad or before? Yeah, before, like, in high school, oh. I would say. Oh, wow. And I seriously wanted to pursue it. And then with mm -hmm. the help of my art teacher and doing some more research about it, I learned that there were schools that offered, you know, medical illustration tracks, undergraduate schools, if you will. Mm -hmm. And uh, Oglethorpe University was one of those places. And I gravitated towards that school because they were in Atlanta. And my, my sister lived, lived in Atlanta at, at the time. You know, I've always loved that city. So I always wanted to kind of gravitate towards there during college and and afterwards yeah i love atlanta been there a few yeah. times great city yeah yeah it's, it's great nice growing city but yeah so i learned about oglethorpe and you know they had all the science classes and art classes i needed for these graduate schools that i didn't really know much about at the time but i thought well i need to get these classes under my belt if i stand a chance <laughs> with <laughs> any of that so so yeah, I went to Oglethorpe after that and tried to take as many art classes and scientific classes as I could. And then grad school from there. Yeah. Tell us about, you went to the Georgia program, right? Yeah. So this was Medical College in Georgia at the time. It, the running gags that it seemed like they changed their names a million times. Yeah. <laughs> I guess now they're Augusta University, but <laughs> Medical College in Georgia at the time. And, and I went there. I mean, I noticed other schools like Johns Hopkins and Toronto or they're like amazing, but I approach this as more of like, honestly, convenience and price. That was like my first impression. Like, okay, <laughs> this is two and a half hours away from Atlanta. So that's cool. I'll just take this place out and see how it goes. And it was, it was an amazing program. Amazing time. I thought for sure college was where the fun stopped. <laughs> like, okay, well, got that out of my system. Now it's time to be serious nobles. Mm -hmm. But this program, a lot of fun people, fun professors. We're all quirky. The strength uh, with the Georgia program that I liked was it was pretty old school. Like traditional drawing techniques were the most important. And like carbon dust and watercolor. And they were very heavy on surgical illustrations. Mm -hmm. That was kind of their thing. You would go and attend so many surgeries and do a whole lot of sketches. Yeah, those are some of the things I, I really loved about that program. Right on. 
Yeah. Oh man. The surgical illustration course is always one of the biggest <laughs> challenges I think is you, yeah, you have to really think on your feet quickly. Yeah. yeah. And so many iterations you're doing so yeah. many, even when you have your final illustrations, it's usually a set. It's usually like a series of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What uh, did you do for your surgical illustration in the program? What procedure? Well, let me, let me see. There was AAA, the uh, abdominal aortic aneurysm. There was thyroid removal, a couple of heart surgeries. Cataract seemed to be popular because they were so fast that it seemed like everyone did a cataract removal illustration of some sort because they just go in and out. It seems like an hour or less, less than an hour. Oh, wow. <laughs> so that was kind of like a popular illustration that, that everyone did. It was so easy to kind of schedule that in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I did a kidney transplant. Yeah, those are the ones that I remember off the top of my head. I wish I uh, looked through my portfolio to see some of the other things I, I did. But yeah, there, there were so many surgeries we had to draw from and, you know, just a lot of different things to consider with each procedure. Like, how do you tell that story the best or, you know, the most clear way? So yeah, that, that was valuable stuff. Oh, definitely. Yeah, and also, yeah, I just thought of this invaluable is the concept of tissue dynamics, which, mm. you know, that's a big thing in medical illustration, and it really should be a big thing in medical animation. Figuring out ways to depict bone versus soft tissue versus vessels, there's just different approaches you take to each of those with like highlights and color and how they relate to each other that, that helps you make some pretty visually interesting stuff. Oh, and, and you know, and surgical tools, the interplay of all that. So when I was able to directly observe that in surgery, that was really valuable. Everything I learned from there, I kind of take that with me with animation, like, okay, how does tissue look? How does tissue act? So that, that was all good stuff. Right on. When you first started the program versus, you know, where you are now, having been, been working for so long, when you look back at your younger self, what do you think <laughs> that younger student version of yourself would be the most proud of with what you've accomplished now? I guess keeping an open mind about technology, mm. because I know when I was in graduate school, I didn't think I was going to be an animator. Mm. I thought I was going to do just drawings all the time. But when we started getting into animation coursework, I enjoyed it a lot. It was really, really frustrating, but I saw the benefits of it, you know. And also, I mean, there was such a cool factor to it. When you, you know, when you have access to this program and you think, oh man, that's, this is how cartoons are made, <laughs> you know, it's like you can like, yeah. you know, come up with a character and you can rig it and make it talk and stuff if you wanted to. <laughs> so, so I just love that about animation. And so that's something that I just, you know, officially wanted to pursue. Now I, I really, I really draw anything <laughs> between you and me. I don't draw much. (laughs) Yeah, I find myself modeling, you know, modeling something real fast instead of really like drawing it. (laughs) I think that happens to a lot of folks though, right? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, technology, that's something that I think my younger self would be like, oh, it's cool that you kind of, you know, lean into that. And uh, also my involvement with the uh, Association of Medical Illustrators. Mm-hmm. sharing my knowledge and taking in everything that everyone else teaches and what everyone else is, is great at that's been really rewarding for me so hopefully a younger student of myself would be most proud of that if i were able to t- jump into a time machine <laughs> be myself and say hey these are some of the things you're going to be into when you get older hopefully even not 
screamed and run away. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Nice. Yeah. You're very active in the AMI community. I definitely want to talk to you about that a bit more, but before we move on, I did want to ask, because I think there's a lot of folks that will listen to the podcast or, you know, people who I see commenting on sites like Reddit and they're, they're always asking, you know, like, how do you get into the field? How do you prepare? So yeah, what recommendations do you have specifically for those folks who want to enter the field? A lot of paths to consider. I would say, you know, I went through the traditional AMI accredited school path, so I can only speak directly to that. You can't prepare too early. There's no mm-hmm. such thing. There's so many classes you have to take. So I would just say, if you, if you want to do grad, go to those graduate schools like, like I did, research the uh, prerequisites of those schools. Go ahead and meet the professors. Try to visit if you can. And then look at the course load and the grades that are required for that and plan backwards. Just think from there, okay, then this is what I need to do in college. Like based on these classes and this kind of work I need to do. Okay, this is what I'll do in college. And then if you're younger than that, then think about, okay, this is how I'll make the most out of high school. Whether it's, you know, AP biology or AP art, you know, taking those higher level courses that will help you out too so yeah plan backwards don't be a stranger to your advisors or your, or your guidance counselors or your art teachers have them help you out uh, when i was when i was in grad school there would be some high schoolers that would visit sometimes and like check out the studio and i i salute them for thinking that far ahead because mm-hmm. i would say like the one thing that seems to catch up some of the people that who i have met who thought about going to medical illustration but couldn't make it happen is that they would be halfway through college and think all right I want to be a medical illustrator but then they would have you know a different major or something like that and then they realize they have to take you know higher level biology courses or some more art classes and they couldn't really make it happen so uh, Mm -hmm. do what it takes that you don't get stuck in that kind of situation yeah Yeah. I think sometimes if you find yourself in that situation, you might realize like, oh man, I'm going to be doing another year of undergrad, Yeah, you know, to get all those prereqs. Yeah. 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 And then, you know, there's scholarships that only pay you for four years, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's, you put yourself kind of in a tough situation there. Yeah. What, what are uh, some of the difficult decisions that you've had to make in order to attain your goals in your career? It's exactly that, getting into graduate school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, with that advice, learn, learn from my mistakes, I'll put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I did not visit, you know, the other graduate schools during college. Mm. So when I interviewed at MCG, I didn't meet any of the professors beforehand or, or anything like that. And also didn't have a backup plan because I only thought, okay, I need, I need to go to MCG. It's the only way to go. So that was pretty tough, particularly when turning my education, did the interview and everything. I was like, I didn't make the original list. I was the first alternate. Mm. And that was, that was stressful because Mm. (laughs) at first I was thinking, well, what am I going to do for, you know, for another year? Um, This is rough. This is what I, you know, want to do now. Yeah. And by a stroke of luck, you know, someone didn't accept going there. Maybe they went somewhere else. I salute that person who did that because <laughs> <laughs> my career probably would have started a little bit later if, if that didn't happen. You know, ironically, that might be someone, that might be someone who I've met. Who knows? Maybe they just went to another yeah. grad school and <laughs> <laughs> I've met them. I don't know. 
I'm yeah. class, of, <laughs> class of 2005. You know, if you if you thought about going to MCC in 2000, what 2003, and <laughs> you got accepted, but you changed your mind, <laughs> let me know. I'll I'll buy you <laughs> buy your beer, give you a virtual hug or something. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that that was really tough, and I and I got so stressed out during college because I would look at all these awesome works from the web pages of these graduate schools. Oh yeah. That show like this is what we get from students and you know, <laughs> then here's what, you know, our current students are doing. Oh, so intimidating, right? And I would panic so much. I would I would redo huge parts of my portfolio. Like the you know, my application portfolio. I'd be like, man, I gotta start over on camp studies or man, I gotta start over on so <laughs> portion stuff like that. So so yeah, that that was my most difficult <laughs> my most difficult experience. I think that's the right reaction, though, is to be yeah. like, oh, I got to step it up, you know? Yeah, yeah, man. <laughs> you know, I think once you get into the industry, going through all this to get in, you know, it can be a, a little frustrating, I think, to deal with things like, you know, maybe aggressive clients or tight deadlines. Yeah. You know, you're like, oh, man, I finally made it. And now it's, you know, it's not <laughs> quite, you know, the the paradise that I thought it was going to be. But yeah. You know, I, it may be a dream job before you get here. And it, it is a still, a, it's an amazing career once you've made it. But, there, you know, there's going to be stress. There's going to be challenging situations. What are some ways you found to maintain your composure under stressful circumstances? Uh, step back from the situation and just kind of look at it objectively. Because I know when you get that uh, big list of feedback from a client <laughs> yeah, oh, uh, who has uh, you know, a lot of issues with the shots that you did, easy to kind of get emotional about it because it's like, Hey, I put, I put myself into this. I'm an artist, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, just take a step back. Just look at the feedback one by one, check out your research again and, you know, reach out to the client again when you need clarification on some things. And more often than not, it's not as big of a problem as you initially thought it was. Mm. That's been my experience with tough projects or once you establish, Hey, maybe I'll, in some of these corrected shots, maybe they're rough shots, but some corrected shots to the client or some test style shots, or, you know, style images. And then they sign off of that. Then it's like, okay, we're in a good place here. <laughs> we, can, nice. we can kind of take this to the final one and everyone will be happy. But also I've been lucky because I've always worked on the team. So there was always mm. help and guidance there when, mm. when I'm struggling with something. I always had like uh, understanding project manager, understanding sales team, you know, they're all just, they've always been understanding of like how difficult this is, local these projects and, you know, the size and scope of, of everything. So I've kind of looked out in that sense. For anyone who's jumping into that on their own as, as a self-proprietor, that's, that's huge. I, I really respect that. Yeah, it's tough, man. It could be tough. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I love that you talk about the strength of the team and yeah, having people to bounce ideas off of. I think that is one of the, the strengths of bringing this back to the AMI, yeah. being a part of the AMI and that community and having access to these people. It's amazing to me how open people are about sharing information and, you know, they'll you know, field a phone call with you and be like, oh yeah, hey, uh, you know, you have trouble with a contract or you're trying to visualize something. People are really helpful. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, you, you guys reached out to me. <laughs> you know, that's a great point. You know, there when you when you join the AMI, there's definitely other animators who you can always reach out to when you're when you're stuck on something, and they're they're always happy to help. 
Yeah, I'd like to ask you a bit more about, you know, your involvement with the AMI over the years, because I know you were an early member of the AMI's diversity committee. Yeah. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I want to give a shout out to the the founders, Jennifer Hollis, Tazio Tesloff, Linda Maria Martinez. They were this group of students who basically called the AMI out for not doing enough for diversity and inclusion, and that they you know, started a, a task force. The first committee originally started as a task force and they headed up our efforts at uh, awareness and outreach. And that's something that I gravitated towards because particularly in my earlier time in the AMI with conferences and some of the meetings, uh, I found myself being the only black dude in the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> which you know, on one hand, I I was a bit used to because uh, I lived in the South all my life, and there's definitely been some instances where I'm like the only black guy. But when I noticed that in some of these uh, AMI meetings, that was kind of daunting because, I mean, I'll I'll preface by saying everyone has treated me very well and continue to do so. But when I kind of look around and think, man, this is a pretty big chunk of the profession, and I'm the only black guy here. That's something <laughs> that's something that's uh, given me some pause from time to time. Mm-hmm. So I can only imagine how younger students who probably come from more more diverse schools, you know, or more diverse communities to kind of grow up from that and they go to an AMI conference and only see themselves represented. That's probably even more more daunting than what what I was used to. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Jennifer Olive actually reached out to me as soon as they gave a presentation about that issue a couple of years ago, I think in 2016. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I wanted to join and help out any way I can. And yeah, I've, I've been involved with that committee ever since. Right on. Yeah, no, it's, it totally makes sense, man. I mean, you're entering into a new community. It's it's already intimidating because you're thinking about your art skills and yeah. you know where you kind of stand in that regard but then also having this extra layer of you know feeling maybe uncomfortable or feeling like you're not being represented there now i mean also in the field outside of the ami the field of medical illustration itself this has been more uh spoken about now recently than it has in the past and i think this is definitely a very good thing i'd like to you know hear from hear from you why is diversity important for the field of medical illustration yeah so you know we have a general role to create uh, educational art that appeals as much to the general public as possible. And I know we tend to approach that as far as like, okay, we're going to use simple language or we're going to use didactic colors, you know, something that everyone can kind of read and understand. But I, th- I think we need to add on there if we demonstrate, you know, more representation of like different races and different cultures as well. Like I think our work would resonate even more you know, among the different communities out there. So, I mean, it just helps us do our job better. You know, there's such a strong gap in health literacy that's mm-hmm. largely among racial and socioeconomic lines. I think that as public health educators, that's why I like to refer to us as uh, we're uniquely obligated to tackle that issue. I would agree. Yeah, and, and along with our work, but, you know, we just need more representation in our field. When we become a more inclusive community in which like more people can share their lived experiences, share their knowledge based on like how they grew up and what their identity are identities are, then our profession can grow and 
will become even more and more relevant in this world. So, you know, that, that, that just means a lot to me. Absolutely. And I think also it, it's worth noting that, you know, as, as folks who have training in biology, we should all recognize that in the, in the world of biology, diversity equals strength. Yeah. It always equals strength. Exactly. You know? <laughs> yeah. Diversity is, is closely associated with adaptation, Yep. you know, being able to pivot quickly and, and adapt to changing circumstances. So this is absolutely something we should be embracing in our field. I recently listened to an audiobook of a book called Medical Apartheid by Harriet Washington. Yeah. And the, it just goes over the health disparities and just just absolute abuse of African-Americans in the uh, North American health system throughout, you know, from basically from the very founding of, you know, these countries, the United States and in Canada. And, you know, I, th I think this is required reading for anyone who's in our field. You know, the, you, you have to know what's what's happened in the past and the abuses. Um, the author specifically focuses on research, you know, medical mm. research. Yeah. So, and, and she refers, you know, a few times to the Tuskegee study, but she says, you know, part of the problem here is that people just only focus on that study and they don't realize that's the tip of the iceberg. Wow. That's just one example. There's dozens and dozens and it's, it's everywhere, you know, but, but there have been over the years, you know, universities and, and colleges that have come out and admitted and set and taken ownership and said, yeah, you know, we screwed up. We totally did. And we should not have done this and we're going to change our policies. We're going to make this known. And that's what we need, right? We need transparency, yeah. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love to check out that book. Because, yeah, uh, a lot of this, yeah, a lot of this kind of boils down to uh, healthcare institutions saying, we did wrong. <laughs> we did yeah. a lot of wrong on this historically, and we want to make it right. And it affects everyone, you know, if they're not doing good science, if you're if you're doing science in such a way that's taking advantage of a certain population, that's not good science. Right. That's not going to help people, you know? Yep. Yeah, that's, that kind of plays into mistrust that, you know, a lot of minority communities have with current current science, like like the COVID vaccine, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm sure there's minorities who think, oh, boy, here comes the government trying to use us to test, test studies again. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, I mean, that plays, that plays into now. Yeah. And it sounds kind of paranoid, but what you're saying is based on experience and based on real <laughs> things that have happened to people's, you know, grandparents or parents even, right? Like they're, they're not just making that up. They're, they're talking from, I heard this happen to someone I know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, it's definitely, definitely something we need to all be aware of and be taking into account, you know, mm -hmm. when we're doing our work. You know, who, who are some of the people in our field who you mentioned a few of the other members of the diversity committee, who are some other folks in the field who are doing work that you really admire and you think are doing a great job of, of addressing some of these issues? Yeah, I would say, actually, you know, we, see, almost last year, year before last year, we profiled Martha Jessup, mm. Mm. Um, who is a person of color who used to be an AMI president and she was heavily involved with DNSI. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's someone who I didn't even know existed. I didn't know we had, you know, a, a black AMI president before. Yeah. So we And an early 3D animator too, probably one yeah. of the first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. She was like so heavily involved like government sponsored surgery simulation and like creating computer generated 
anatomical models that help with that. And she was mentored by Nadia Page, who who I understand was part of Harvard School of Medicine. They they had medical illustrators from there. So I'm kind of curious who else was, you know, a part of that program. Because they must have had more medical illustrators than that at this historical black school. So I'm kind of curious, you know, if we did more of a deep dive uh, into the history of that, what other people of color we could we could come across and, and profile. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, the AMI actually has a series of uh, some interviews and I think a few articles. Marsha Jessup is is one of those. So I'll definitely include those in the show notes. Can you think of any other prominent figures that you have come across that people should know about? Yeah, um, Hillary Wilson does amazing, amazing work. She is, um, the way that she demonstrates different skin tones, it looks so convincing and <laughs> and so realistic. Uh, he does a lot of medical illustration work, a lot, a lot of general, like, great cultural work. And uh, Nika Ford, our current chair, she does good work too, and she's doing a lot of, a lot of great work with the diversity committee itself. So um, uh, those two individuals, they, uh, they've done a lot as far as trying to increase diversity, you know, in our work and an important representation goes. Right on. What are some examples of good positive progress that we definitely have made in terms of med- uh, diversity and medical illustration? And what do we still need to do? I'll say particularly along, among current students, uh, they, they get it. I mean, there's, there's more diversity in their work. I think a lot of us are making a little general progress with that. I think it's just, you just need to be consistent with it and more active about it as far as, you know, introducing that very science and having those kind of works be in publications and, and academic books. But I would say as far as the Association of Medical Illustrators go, we need to work on having more representation in our leadership, mm. you know, our membership and our leadership. And that just involves a lot of candid conversations because, you know, there's no, I mean, at least in my experience, there's no bad guy. You know, no one's like, hey, I want this association to be less diverse. <laughs> you know, it, yeah. it's just trying to like identify, okay, maybe there's some of these hurdles that are preventing more people from color from entering this field. And we just kind of need to look at that from top to bottom. Like, how do we do membership? How do we do mentoring? How do we make sure, you know, when people of color join the association, they want to stick around, you know, work on, work on retention. Uh, it just takes a lot of talks and just need to work on uh, identifying those problems, admitting that they're problems and figuring out how to solve them. And um, also some professional DEI help would be great. But we just we just need to invest in that, you know, invest in having an advocacy group or individual, you know, kind of kind of help throw us away and give us ideas that, you know, we, we haven't thought of. Mm-hmm. Right on. Yeah. Cool. Bi- bias is just it's it's just such a weird thing mm-hmm. you know it's one of those things it's, it's just you don't think you're doing something wrong but there's just some habits perhaps from privilege where you can end up holding certain cultures of people down or holding people down who are different to you and you may not even be openly aware of it yeah i think that's the key right is like you don't know what you don't know yeah right yeah 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 and i'm, I'm definitely not mr perfect no and a lot of a lot of my work you know, the, the safe way to go 
with I, I've noticed a lot, particularly in 3D animation, is okay, we'll we'll have this figure on, but we'll make him or her uh, blue colored, you know, or, or gray colored, or some mm-hmm. some neutral color, so we can just kind of avoid <laughs> avoid race altogether when clearly the figures look European, you know, look Caucasian. Mm-hmm. So right. you know, the way I, the hair, the, yeah. the way the hair looks and stuff, yeah, 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 yeah exactly. You're not right. fooling anybody, like <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I mean, I, I mean, I know I have work to do in that regard of like figuring out ways to, you know, uh, play around more with skin color and introducing that more in my work. So there you go. And I'm a black guy, you know. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, just gotta stop those comfortable habits and see what you can do to, uh, to, to help out diversity in your own way. Yeah. Well, I think it also just speaks to growth as an artist, growth as a professional, realizing that, you know, there's this whole untapped area of your field that you haven't even gotten into yet. And when you start getting involved with it, you realize that, well, wait a minute, it's not just, you know, including diversity and different ethnicities in my patient images that I'm including, but it's also the types of health topics we're covering, right? Because different health issues affect different populations. So it's actually just a a door into more opportunities for yourself in your career. Exactly. That's a great point. So yeah, I, I'm interested now in technology. Let's pivot a little into the technology space. Sure. This has obviously had like a big impact on our industry as with, you know, just about everyone is, is feeling this, right? What would you say is the biggest game changer that you've experienced over the course of your career? I've jumped into CPU rendering for like the past, I would say past year, year and a half. So I'm embarrassingly late to the game on that. <laughs> oh, same dude, same. But it's <laughs> but the strength of, you know, half of your graphics card due to rendering. That's just amazing. I mean, you do photorealistic stuff uh, a lot more easily than traditional rendering techniques. So that's obviously a big game changer. And when I would meet students from uh, our graduate school programs, like they already know GPU rendering. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they know that stuff like more, more than I knew. So <laughs> now, which one are you using? Which uh, render engine? Yeah, I'm using Redshift. Okay. And, uh, and that's been great. And I'm trying to dabble into V-Ray a bit. To see you, you know, I guess the strength of that. Uh, so yeah, that that whole node-based rendering, there's there's this crazy amount of potential with that. Oh yeah, yeah, I love it. Now, uh, some of our listeners might not know that the way that you would build a you know a surface treatment on a 3D object, we call them shaders or materials. You know, the texture, the appearance, yeah. how light is interacting with this object, and so when you're building, you know, these shaders in the older systems that they had, it was almost like building layers in Photoshop. Yeah. But yeah. the newer sort of systems that you're referring to, the node-based systems, it's more of like a uh, like a flow chart. Yeah. And you, you, know, you can connect these nodes to different points and then it makes it easier to reuse one of those elements because you can just drag out a little, uh, you know, a little line out of it and connect it to different, different nodes and stuff. So you're using Redshift and V-Ray and now you mentioned earlier, you had also been using more of 3ds Max and Maya. I've been using almost exclusively Cinema 4D for the past like 10 years or so. We've used a little bit of Arnold and recently I've been playing around a little bit with Octane. Mm. Now I'm wondering like if you've noticed in 3ds Max or Maya, if there's any performance differences or if they integrate with those GPU renders in a different way or better, worse. 
Like, what are your uh, thoughts there? My first impressions of Fee Ray is that with Redshift, I found myself having to try to add things to make something richer, right? Like, it seems more like an additive experience. With Fee Ray, it seems like there's very high reflections, very rich colors and stuff. Mm. At least the way I'm, I'm seeing this first, where I find myself having to, like, pull back and refine. So it seems like I have to, like, subtract elements with Fee Ray mm. uh, so far. That's, that's been my first impression. And then with Redshift, you know, you build to something that, that you like or something that's sophisticated or, or rich enough. Okay. Okay. And then what would you say as far as like the experience, you know, you have this image that's really pixelated and then it slowly kind of resolves <laughs> itself. Yeah. Like that's probably the way I would describe GPU rendering. Yeah. Is that you, you get a sense of what the render is going to look like as quickly as possible. How do you kind of play in that space? Oh, so much trial and error. <laughs> mm -hmm. The good thing about CPU rendering is that light is acting. I mean, when you use lights, they act more like real light. Mm. Like the way that light bounces off of objects and everything. So I find myself trying to get the lighting figured out better. And that that takes care of a lot of things visually. Like when you have good lighting, that puts you a pretty good amount of way there. Then you, you know, play around with the material stuff and kind of, you know, nudge things along. Mm -hmm. Nice, nice. Because I, I like, you know, I like three-point lighting. That's something that everyone who's had an art education knows about, right? Like you have, your, you know, your key light, your, your main light source, and then you kind of have your fill light that, you know, fills the scene a bit. And then, you know, your rim light that kind of gives dimension to objects and kind of set them apart from the background a bit. So it's great with these new renderers to be able to take that a traditional approach to lighting them. Because with CPU rendering, lights don't act as well as, as they, they should. So I would find myself having to add four or five lights, you know, like additional lights mm -hmm. and everything. And, you know, turn shadows off on some lights to kind of get that rich lighting that, you know, you see in Renaissance paintings and, <laughs> you know, kind of that old school Caravaggio stuff. So. Yeah, the light bounces, the, the older yeah, CPU rendering styles that you're referring to, I think those are the most likely that people will describe them as looking fake. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yep. So now, how do you deal with juggling all these different software packages and, you know, having to <laughs> kind of switch tasks? Yeah. How do you uh, sort of maintain your focus or pick a lane, I guess? I know. I know. I'm still trying to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I just... Uh... Look at my colleagues and look at people in the animators in the association and see what they're up to. And then it's like, okay, I'll, I'll give myself a very small mini project to learn certain program or learn certain renderer and you know, focus on that so I don't get too frustrated with what I'm trying to learn and just kind of play it from there. Mm -hmm. And now how do you deal with the noise of yeah. the internet and social media, constant distractions? Well... It's nice being clueless. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't have Twitter. I don't have Instagram. <laughs> I mean, I have Facebook and LinkedIn, and that's mm -hmm. pretty much it. <laughs> Facebook, you know, that that's kind of become a bit annoying with all the ads and all the disputing mm -hmm. and all that. I'll take a break from that and go to LinkedIn, and then there's all these people really sharing cool stuff. Like, hey, this is what I made. Or this this is how my job experience has been so far, and it just seems more more of a productive <laughs> social platform in general for me. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I kind of like the vibe on LinkedIn the most out of all the social media. All right. Well, let me ask you this. What do you think medical illustrators should be doing to best prepare for the future of the field? We've discussed diversity. That's just something that needs to be on the on the forefront. That's something that all of us just need to be more mindful of and just keep an open mind with technologies, you know? Like see what's going on in the in the healthcare field, see what's going on with animation the animation industry in, in general, you know, as far as like Pixar and other animation studios, see what they're working on and what's what's trending, what approach they have trending, because eventually it trickles down to us, you know. Mm-hmm, definitely. So uh yep. Just uh keep open mind. Uh if you're frustrated learning new things, that's understandable. I've been in the field for fifteen years animating and I, I still get so frustrated. It seems like over the simplest things that I should know the answer to. It it, it does not <laughs> it doesn't go away. <laughs> Just, just learn to accept it and know that that's part of the process. Yeah, can verify. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's an example of how working as a medical illustrator has maybe changed your outlook on the world and the future for the better? When I worked at Nucleus Medical Media, as I mentioned before, we have you know all this in stock stuff, right? That we license out. The totality of that is called the Nucleus Animation Library, mm-hmm. and we've been putting a lot of that on our YouTube page. It's a way to advertise, but also a way to help educate, you know, potential patients and students on like all these medical procedures and, and surgical procedures. What I loved about that is that you get to see the feedback, which is uh, mostly positive. <laughs> mm-hmm. But then when you come across some of these people saying, you know, I'm, I need a heart transplant or a valve replacement in a couple of weeks or in a few months, and I feel so nervous, but I saw this animation about it, and now I know more of what's going on, or I feel at ease. That's something that makes me feel, okay, I'm not, I'm not just making cool stuff. It's like, it's really, it's really making a difference. Like it's really helping with healthcare that we can, we can help explain things differently or more fully than just what a, what a doctor would tell you. So that, that just incites me so much in the future that, you know, we have that role in our profession. Heck yeah, man. I'm totally with you there. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Getting those kinds of emails and stuff, the the thank yous and and knowing that you really have helped somebody or drop their stress level a little bit. Yeah, it's great. Now, what are some lessons that you've learned throughout your career to to face some of these, you know, frustrations with the technology or or any of the other kinds of snags that we come up with in our in our workflows? Start start small. <laughs> do do the most try to do the most. They, you know, try to understand the most, the most basic things first. Give yourself like the simplest problems that hopefully you'll, you'll solve without throwing your computer out the window <laughs> and uh, be okay with starting over. <laughs> Sometimes, you, you know, you get into the weeds with a certain approach on how to do something or, or animate something a certain way, but you keep coming across these problems or you keep hitting a wall. That's probably the time to start just do over, try different approach to this problem. And more often than not, uh, when you start over, you, 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 you know, you catch up faster than you think you do and you have a better solution. Mm, mm. So, so yeah, that, that's been my uh, experience in, in 3d animation in particular, I would, you know, be really frustrated with something, work on something for a long time, but then 
I would, you know, maybe take a break or something like that, create a new, you know, <laughs> a new scene or something, uh, kick myself a lot. And then I come across something that I didn't, you know, think about before. Like, oh, yeah, okay, that's it. Got it. So some, sometimes starting over is better than pushing forward in a, in a weird way. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. With new talents, you know. <laughs> oh, definitely. What are some of your favorite ways to keep learning about uh, all the things you need to do for your work? Yeah, thank God for tutorials. So much free <laughs> tutorials on the internet these days. <laughs> uh, that, that's that been very helpful. And it's great when uh, people in our profession present what they know, because what they present is directly applicable to what I do. So it's not something like, hey, here's a, a tea kettle moving around or anything like that. It's actually, <laughs> you know, phospholipid mem- membrane or how did blood flow and stuff like that. So, so yeah, tutorials and, and yeah, I, I've been lucky to always been around coworkers who are doing the same thing I'm doing, you know, working, working on the team. That's just been, that's just been great. I've been very lucky in that regards in, in my career. Right on. What's a, uh, like a skill or a technique or, or a software that you like really want to learn more about? So the GPU renderers we've discussed, CS Nice and Maya. This is this is such a wish list. <laughs> I'll see, I'm, I'm just now dabbling with 3ds Max. Oh boy, <laughs> this is a doozy. <laughs> but uh, mm-hmm. I like to uh, officially learn 3ds Max and Maya and get to a place where I can look at a problem and be like, well, this is a this is more of a 3ds Max problem or this is more of a Maya problem. You know, like mm. this this software is better off. Uh, I'm better off using this particular software to solve this problem than the others. Like I like to get to that point, you know, mm-hmm. and mo and motion graphics. That's something I I really need to improve on. You know, finding out inter- interesting ways to uh, show text or show statistics. You know, that that's something that helps add that extra bit of of polish to an animation. So definitely. So yeah, those those are the things I like to like learn about the most. Do you have like a uh, like a personal mantra or a quote or like a saying that you like that you live by that you repeat to yourself? Yeah, uh, I would say be your own worst critic. <laughs> mm-hmm. Be honest about your strengths and the things you want to work on, and you'll you'll just learn so much more from that. When someone's doing something better than you are or or more sophisticated than what you're doing, learn from that person. You know. See, see what they're doing that's different than what you're doing and, you know, and figure out how to get there. Even when it's defiant, when you're working on a project and the client finds off of it and, you know, like, oh, yeah, okay, I approve. You know, be, be sure to still take that look on your work and be like, well, this I can work on a bit more. This could be polished. Oh, this timing is horrendous, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, I've benefited from putting myself in a place where, I kind of self-critique myself. That's something that's been really important. Right on. Some of these folks that you've seen their work and it, it's inspired you, like any names that pop out in particular of like other artists or or even maybe even other companies that whose work you admire and that you've learned from? Oh, geez, so many. It's like, there, there, there's so many animation studios who are doing great stuff. But I'll give a special shout out to my professors. Mm. Bill Andrews, Andrew Swift, Steve Harrison, they did so, so much great work. That was the work that I, I inspired to do 
And I still kind of do, even though I'm not drawing, I still want to animate in a way that does justice to the things that they tried to teach. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, absolute legends. Yeah, and be- between all of them, they do they do such great heart and neurosurgical work. Is is just kind of mind blowing. <laughs> oh yeah, right on, man. Now, what have you learned about managing like the balance between your professional and personal life? Especially as three D animators, we all you know have stayed late to get that render you know ready for to, to kick off over the weekend, right? Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's hard to find a. It's hard to find a balance, <laughs> but it's like exciting because you want to creatively put so much of yourself into it mm. that it's more thrilling than like, oh, gee, I got to put in these extra hours because I hate my job. It's really more like, man, I really want to solve this problem. <laughs> mm. Like, I really want to like creatively figure this out so it's something that like I'm really proud of, that I would be proud of, you know? I'm lucky in the sense that I have a wonderful wife and kids. They keep me grounded as far as making my personal life the main priority. Making sure you unplug from the matrix, you know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's good to, to take a break. Sometimes when you clear your mind and you go back to something, you do a lot better with it. Definitely. So what are you looking forward to in the next couple months? Anything coming up? I guess it's learning all these new techniques. Uh, because in my team, there's people who know 3ds Max and know Maya, and I'm the only person who knows them before me. So mm. we all we all have these different workflows and everyone does such awesome stuff that I want to learn you know, the workflows that, that they have and see what I can I can take from that and add to my work. So I'm looking forward to that. And uh, unfortunately, I won't be able to make the AMI conference, but I'm still excited about it. Hopefully there'll be some virtual opportunities to see some of the things, some of the talks maybe. Uh, I'm really looking forward to that. That'll be in person. So I'm, I'm sure everyone's just clamoring to <laughs> kind of go back to that deep endemic environment and physically meet each other and collaborate so oh definitely what are you looking forward to oh me oh man yeah actually i i have the the perfect answer to that question of what i'm looking forward to is uh go on my honeymoon finally with my wife hey! <laughs> <laughs> we got married uh like two months before the pandemic. In, oh. uh, well, I guess it would have been about three months or so. But yeah, October of 2019, we got married and we were going to take our honeymoon that summer. And then COVID said, no, you're not. <laughs> so so uh, yeah, we've been waiting since. So we're, we're finally going to be able to swing it. So yeah, congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, I think similar to yourself, you know, just continuing to learn more about, you know, these different 3D tools, I've been uh, recently dipping my toes a little bit into Substance uh, Painter. Oh, wow. Which is just a massive program. It's pretty amazing. Well, so there's, yeah, there's Substance Painter and Substance Designer. Uh, Designer is kind of where you can build these procedural shaders, and then you can import what you make from Designer into Painter. And then you can just paint directly on models with whatever you've made in Designer. And then there's a third one. I think it's, I know when they were under algorithmic, it was called Substance Alchemist. Uh, I don't know if since Adobe's bought them out, if they still use that one, but wonder if that has something to do with like photogrammetry or something. Hmm. But I have been doing quite a bit of photogrammetry over the past couple of years, trying to make that applicable and useful for surgery education. But some, sometimes you don't always want to necessarily go photorealistic. Uh, you know, sometimes you want to strip <laughs> yeah. away the detail. Yeah. Um, but I think there are still some applications. So yeah, so the, yeah, those are some of the tools and, and things I'm playing around with. Oh, but, wow, uh, yeah, that's, that's really cool. 
Is there anything, uh, anything you want to like promote or anyone you want to give a shout out to or anything? Hey, sure. Well, take out Ilara. <laughs> go to uh, <laughs> right. Go to ilarasystems.com and you know see what we do. And uh, you know if if anyone wants to collaborate, give us a holler. And uh, also the, the AMI.org, oh, you know, definitely. our our own association of medical illustrators. We do cool stuff. If you if you're curious about our field and curious about what we do, check it out. Awesome, Nobles. Thank you so much for your time. Hey, thank you, Paul. I, I really appreciate it. This is the longest I've ever talked about my career to anyone. So. <laughs> <laughs> And thank you as well to you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about any of the topics Nobles and I covered, I put the show notes with lots of links to websites, articles, books, and videos on the podcast post page of my website. So check that out at pkvisualization.com. I hope that what we touched on in this episode resonates with people and gives you a bit more insight into the types of conversations that medical illustrators have amongst each other. I think by our nature and because of the work we do, we're a really thoughtful and considerate community of professionals, and I'm happy to have the opportunity to do this podcast where I can show that. If you've been enjoying this podcast, or if you have any requests for future guests, future topics, or any suggestions for how I can improve this content, please feel free to reach out. You can comment on the podcast or leave a review wherever you're listening to it from. You can shoot me a message on one of my social media accounts or on my website or shoot me an email. Anyway, thanks again for listening and stay tuned for some more great interviews coming up in the next few months. Let's see how many more I can post between now and July of 2022 when the Association of Medical Illustrators has their first in-person meeting since the pandemic, which will be in Des Moines, Iowa. So until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay curious.